1: please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favourite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favour. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery. Monday Distillery is a new age beverage company revolutionising the way we look at having a night out with friends. They make sophisticated, non alcoholic beverages that are sugar free and full of social graces. Now you can enjoy a good time, love what you drink, and love yourself the next day too. Stay high in spirits, keep a clear mind. Cheers to Monday. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol today in the Zoom Room. I'm joined by Kate from New Zealand. Kate is a 42-year-old mum of two. She is, as of today, 494 days sober and smashing it, from what I believe. So welcome to the podcast, Kate. How are you? Hello. I'm good, thanks. It's so nice to have you on the show. I was just reflecting before we started the call on the very first message I ever received from you. May I read it? Sure. Okay. So where are we? Hey, from New Zealand, do you have a podcast, how I quit alcohol? So you must've Googled me or something like that and asked, Mm -hmm. anyway, you said that you found the podcast over the weekend. And so far I've only listened to one episode with your husband, but I've listened twice. It's so good and encouraging. I think it's time I started The Sober Life. Your podcast makes me think I can do it. My brother-in-law has just opened a brewery in Melbourne, so unlikely my hubby will partner with me, but I'm looking forward to listening more. And we've had a bit of back-forth in that time. And so, wow, look at how far you've come from that first message. Congratulations.
2: Thank you. That must have been close to my day one. Do you remember sending that message? Uh, no. (laughs) I remember looking for your podcast though. It really has been, I think the last person I listened to on the podcast was Lisa. And she said too, that it's been you and your podcast and the speakers you've had on that have really kept me going because otherwise I've just been alone in this journey.
1: Oh, that's so amazing. That's why it's so important to share our stories and everyone has their own little gem of wisdom, something that they've learned about themselves that they can share on the podcast to then share with the world and hopefully it will help someone else. But sharing our stories, hearing people's stories is just so important. And this is a living testimony as to why that it works to share your stories. So yeah, anyway, so it's great to to have you here. So tell us a bit about your journey with alcohol and how and why you got to the point where you decided to give it up.
2: So it would have been close to 500 days ago, I went to a Christmas work party and the year before I had been pregnant. So I had told the girls that I wasn't going to be doing the driving and wanted to have a few. Bubbles was my go-to but also rosé and Ooh. the boss had bought both. So I couldn't decide. So I kind of went from one to the other, which was oh, did my Did you Christmas have one in, in each hand or no, was it? I, no, I was trying to be a bit classy and keep it a bit secret <laughs> of how often I was re-topping up my glasses. Okay. And then by the end of the night, I somehow had mentioned to the boss's husband that I hadn't tried Jägermeister before. And so he got that out of the freezer. Big mistake. Yeah. And luckily the, one of the girls from work drove me home and, had to walk me to the door because I couldn't see the keyhole to get the key in the door. And I hadn't been that drunk in a long, long time. I went to bed, got up at two in the morning to feed my baby. She was bottle fed. So, but yeah, I was still, yeah, I was still very drunk. So that was, yeah, the first thing. And then in the morning, my husband said to me eight o'clock, he's like, all right, I've got to go. And he had somewhere to go and I had totally forgotten. So I was home with both children on the couch, feeling sorry for myself, running to the toilet to be sick. I hadn't been that hungover in a long, long time. And my seven-year-old was asking all the questions, mum, why are you going to the toilet to be sick? And are you okay? And I just decided then this isn't the person I wanted to be. And this isn't the example that I want to set for my kids. And so that's really been my motivation. Had that been occurring a
1: lot previously where you were having big blood, obviously with the pregnancies, obviously not. But was that a kind of recurring theme that you would go to a party or something and drink too much?
2: You know, I I never went to parties. I was really going out, but definitely drinking was the norm. We had a Friday fizz was the thing. So I'd have a couple of bottles of bubbles on a Friday, which turned into every couple of days, I'd crack a bottle. Mm. Any excuse, if a friend came over, I'd suggest a bottle. And because it's bubbles, you have to finish it. And then through COVID, I think a lot of people's stories, through COVID, it just kind of became my best friend, really. Mm. And I really Mm. loved who I was when I drank because I thought I was so much funnier. And I just, yeah, I just felt like the true me was there when I'd had a few drinks. That
1: is so interesting where we think that that's our true personality, but often yep. it's not, it's, it's a fake version of ourselves, isn't it? What yep. did it give you? What did it do for your personality when you were drinking other than being funny?
2: I think it, it really numbed out a lot of pain and hurt. I've had a, I mean, man, compared to other people, it's been nothing, but I've had a bit of a tough upbringing My dad is a pastor, so I'm brought up in quite a strict Christian family. Drinking was a big no-no. And so when I got to 18, like I was the first child out of four of us to start smoking and being a bit of the rebel and a bit of a black sheep. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I got to 18 and was allowed to drink legally, I uh, I had no understanding of managing it. Like yeah. I'd never learned how to manage alcohol. You know, when you have alcohol in the house and already have chocolate in the house and people think, oh, you can't have the chocolate in the house because they to eat the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like I used to be like that too. And then if you have it around all the time, you kind of learn to manage it because it's always there. It's not it's like an- I have to drink it all because it's going to go away. It's really interesting, this whole
1: perspective, because I've had people from both schools of thought. So I've had people on the podcast whose parents let them drink moderately when they were younger and they turned out to be binge drinkers or daily drinkers. They got the can't stops and so they would blame also their parents being able to let them moderate. Yet I've also had people who didn't start until they were 18 or older because they've had a strict upbringing and had the exact same thing too. So in some ways I think like doesn't make any difference whether we completely restrict it or we offer it to our kids. It's something I'm interested in because I've got teenage, or one teenage daughter and one that will be there soon enough. And I mean, obviously in our household it's going to be no, but just such a tough one. I had Isabella Ferguson on. She's a coach and she specialises in dealing with teenagers. It's a really interesting conversation and I guess people are going to do what they're going to do anyway. It's probably more to do with what it gives us. And talking about having pain, it kills me when I hear someone say, oh, my trauma wasn't that bad when people minimise their own trauma because whatever you went through, and I don't know what you went through, but for some reason it's caused some pain in you. And When we compare ourselves to other people and our trauma to other people, I feel sad when I hear that because I feel like everyone's trauma is their own and it doesn't matter what it is, but whatever was going on, what you made that mean about yourself is what's the bigger picture there, if that Mm. makes sense. So, Yeah. Yeah that's something to watch in the future when we minimize, minimize our stuff. Obviously being aware of the fact that there is pain there and that you were drinking to numb that pain is really good to be able to have that insight into yourself. Has that helped you with your
2: journey in sobriety? Just the fact that you've been able to recognize that there was pain there? Big time. For a long time, I'd say almost a year I think I was a dry drunk and I only had ever heard that term from your podcast. I didn't, Mm. like, I never had heard of it before, Mm. but I didn't really act much different. Like I was still a bit of a grump. Like I thought I was the alcohol and the hangovers that made me a bit jady and a bit grumpy, but, and then I was just, turns out I'm just grumpy all the time. And, um, (laughs) and Mm. I think it was because I actually, like I was, still not facing stuff like I've I went straight to chocolate mm-hmm. and just like ate so much chocolate <laughs> because that was my kind of go-to for a while and it's like I replaced alcohol with something else yeah and it's only been in the last probably a couple of months that I've really started to face some stuff Yeah. And look, and sometimes it takes the
1: good years. I certainly hadn't faced any of my trauma stuff until a bit further down the track, only because I didn't know how to, I didn't know that was a thing. But for people listening, if you don't know what Kate's talking or what she's referring to, the dry drunk is when someone basically just stops drinking and doesn't do any of the internal work. And then they basically just stay the same, just minus the alcohol. So there's no, there hasn't been this kind of deeper spiritual work or perhaps some therapy or just that reflection to look back. And like you say, now you've been able to start to see it. And what a beautiful gift, even if it does happen a year down the track. Now it's like now the real work begins and the liberation from the trauma is amazing. And I'll tell you a great book to read is, uh, you might've already heard me mention it from the podcast. It's Pete Walker's book. It's called CPTSD, which stands for Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder from Surviving to Thriving. And sorry to everyone who's already heard this story, but my friend who's a beautiful trauma-informed therapist said to me once, because I was doing exactly what you did before in a conversation we were walking along and I was like, yeah, but my stuff was nothing. Like I, I didn't really have any trauma. And she just said very gently to me, you need to read this book. (laughs) and I read that book and I was just like, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, that's me, oh, that's why I act like that. And I start to have this insight into myself and so not to become the victim of my past but more to be liberated from it, from the understanding and understanding how it shows up in our presence. So I strongly recommend that book. And anyone who says, oh, my stuff wasn't that bad, you need to read this book.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, growing up, my dad was the pastor and and there was four of us kids we really didn't have a lot of money. We were kind of brought up in a bit of a scarcity environment. Yeah. So yeah. like, for example, oh, I'm going to make everyone laugh with my accent. But when we used to buy fish and chips, mum and dad would just put it out on the floor in front of the lounge so we could watch telly. And it was just free for all. Like if you didn't eat fast, you didn't get nothing. <laughs> You'd miss out.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: And so I kind of learned, and I think that carried on for a long, long time. If I didn't guzzle my drinks, even just water, you'll miss out. And so I kind of had that, always had that mindset for a long, long time.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm.
2: that's really interesting ash has a bit of that as well because he's the eldest
1: of five and that was very much that same thing that they didn't have a lot of money as well and so it was just like yeah eat your food as quickly as you could before someone else would get it
2: pretty much yeah yeah and then my mum was diagnosed with breast cancer when i was four so a lot of my childhood was her being sick although that kind of became normal which is a bit Mm. warped in itself but uh And then when I was around 10, after a lot of counseling I've done, i figured out it was about 10 years old that I I had a bit of an eating disorder start Mm. where I would steal food to make sure that I got enough for a long time. So I had a lot of these crazy things that kind of all led up to when I started having alcohol, my first drink was Tia Maria. (laughs) When I was 17, I'd tried, I think a mouthful of wine or a mouthful of beer and thought it was absolutely disgusting. But when I tried Tia Maria, I was like, oh, this is nice. It just would numb me out and make me happy. I think that's what I loved. It just made me happy. Mm. Would you feel happy the next
1: day after you'd woken up?
2: Not very often.
1: Yeah. No. So often that thing that we're looking for in the alcohol is, well, we're not getting it long-term. It's a liar. Alcohol's a liar because it promises one thing, mm. it will make me happy, but on the flip side of it, and when it becomes a problem, we're suddenly not very happy at all.
2: Yeah, and no, I was just getting to a point where I, um on that day zero, after being sick a lot, I got out my journal and wrote pros and cons. And Mm -hmm. I had one pro, which is, I love it. And I had four pages of cons. (laughs) Oh, wow. Do you have that? Do you have that on you? I do somewhere in my journal. Oh my God. I'd love to hear that. It was things like it's it's expensive. The amount I was buying. I feel jaded the next day. I was eating so much Panadol. I'd have Panadol Mm. the night before because I didn't want to have a hangover, but then I'd still feel sick the next day. So I'd just have Panadol. I would want to eat chips and Coke was the key to a hangover disappearing. So I would drinking Mm -hmm. a lot of Coke,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: eating rubbish, which then triggered the eating disorder. I'd then start skipping meals. And if it got real serious, I could tell if I wouldn't tell my husband. If I didn't want to say anything to him, then I knew there was an issue. And there was a few times where I'd skip a few meals and just eat when, like I know all the tricks, I was eating around other people. So as far as they knew, I was fine. So that it was just always triggering that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be so grumpy and real angry. I had an F off on my forehead often. I had no energy for the kids. I didn't sleep well. I thought having a red wine or two would make me sleep better, but actually it was horrible. And then I'd you just feel rubbish about myself. And it's like that movie, Eat, Pray, Love, which the movie with Julia Roberts. And she says, just waiting to see how much shame she can take into the shower the next day. Oh, you know, yeah. of how much she eats, you know, that line. And yeah. it's like, So that was some of the cons. I'm a big podcast. I just listened to lots of podcasts. And so the first thing I did was search called Alcohol When Yours was the first one that came up. Mm, that's so awesome. I'm so glad that you found the podcast and
1: it was able to offer some help. When you read that, and that's obviously not the whole four pages, when you list the pros and the cons, it can be such a powerful tool. It's so simple, but just that like a risk cost analysis that we do or the benefits versus the cost analysis. Yeah. It's often like alarming, staggering even when we see that those, the negative effects that it's having on us. And yet we still choose to do this thing. In fact, I ask everyone that's listening right now to press pause and go find a pen and paper and do that. Like write down the pros and then write down the cons and see, just see how it weighs up and how you feel about drinking after that, because it's, pretty alarming it's pretty amazing and and also sometimes that's enough to light a fire under us what gave you the idea to do that
2: I really didn't want to stop yeah (laughs) I I think it's just maybe myself or I felt like there was a lot of expectation on me to drink and I didn't think I could do it I didn't think I could quit when my in-laws are here from Australia so I lived in Melbourne for 10 years and married an Aussie. When they come to visit, we always have a few bubbles and it's just being part of the family. So I really struggled to think, how is it going to work out? And my brother-in-law, husband's brother's opened a brewery in Melbourne. So I'm like, how is this really going to work? Like, I'm going to get all the comments of, oh, you know, you just need to have one or what are you doing? Mm -hmm. So I just always assumed that I'd go back, but I didn't think I'd last this long, to be honest. Yeah, it's
1: absolutely incredible. And oh, by the way, you should speak to them about doing a non-alcohol beer. I should, because there's not that much there. And it's a great thing for business, for people doing that kind of thing. But uh, I do digress. So tell me a bit about that last night. What was it about that night that made you think, no, that's it. I'm going to give this some time off for a bit.
2: I think I had woken up with those feelings so often. Like every time I'd wake up thinking, oh, I'm not going to drink today. And then by four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. It's wine o'clock. And then the next day I'm like, no, I'm not going to drink today. And I was just, I got to, I think that night was just, I mean, I drank more than I usually would, but I think I woke up just thinking I, something has to change. And I think when I was throwing up and my daughter seeing me, I think that's really, it was like a smack in the face and just being like, something has to change now. Like she's old enough. You know, when they're younger, you think, oh, that is little, they don't see. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh, she's old enough to remember this. Mm -hmm. Does she remember it? I haven't asked her, but she's got a pretty good memory. So I bet she would. Yep.
1: That's terrifying, isn't it? I'm sort of relying yeah. on the fact that my kids are pretty young, but Sunny does
2: remind me of things from time to time. But yeah. luckily Aria, our little one, doesn't remember any of it. I just didn't want them to know, like, oh yeah, well, Mum, when she's angry, she has wine. When she's happy, she has wine. Like wine's the answer. That's kind of what I felt like the message I was sending to them.
1: Yeah. And that's exactly and it's monkey see, monkey do. So we don't want our kids kind of mimicking that behaviour. That's Mm. absolutely for sure. So tell me, how did you go about it? Other than listening to podcasts, what was some of the ways in which, or the tools that you used to get you through, particularly the early
2: cravings? Uh, Chocolate was a pretty big one. I had a good chat with my husband and he was really understanding. I never once asked him to join my mission and so that's been fine. And I'm actually, one thing I hadn't mentioned before is I'm celiac, so I can't drink beer without being really sick. So that makes it really easy for him. He drinks craft beer and things and and I don't crave that at all. So it's been really easy. We've not stopped up on the bubbles at all. So we just don't have it in the fridge anymore. Mm -hmm.
1: What happens if you're at a celebration or a work thing now and the bubbles come out? Do you feel tempted to do it or how do you navigate those waters?
2: Uh, I've been attempted a couple of times when um, my in-laws have come to visit and they'll get the bubbles out. And I'm thinking, oh man, that'd be nice. But uh, soda and lime has become my go-to. And so I'll put that in a glass and just drink that. And I've found, especially husband and in-laws and things, they've been really respectful and not probably done what I would do and go, come on, you need to join us. And yeah, I think mm-hmm. I realized I was the instigator a, a lot of times. Yeah. I was the one that was, come on, one more bottle and
1: Yeah. We often find that too, don't we? That when we stop, we're like, oh my God, I was actually the driving force and no one actually drinks that much when I'm not drinking. So yeah. yeah. You know, you said that there was that perhaps the expectation of the in-laws or just that you felt probably that they didn't, but you felt this kind of expectation to drink when they were around.
2: How did you navigate that feeling that you had about that? Um, I think I listened to one of your podcasts earlier, and they someone had said that a craving doesn't actually last that long, mm-hmm. or like attempt the temptation part. Yeah, and I think I'd already decided that I don't drink. I really didn't want to set my timer back to day zero again. Mm-hmm. Like I think I feel like I'm out to prove myself wrong. And so I just, I got my lime and sodas and I I drink lots of hot water. I'm a bit of a nana. So I'll just guzzle hot water and yeah, have a great night's sleep and wake up in the morning with the kids early and everyone else is feeling a bit jaded and I'm slightly smug. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So good.
1: Get... <laughs> yeah, it's the best way to be. Absolutely. So, what you're sort of saying is that you've replaced the bubbles. So, you've given yourself the sort of bubbly water, you put some lime in it to give it some taste, and just drinking that down or guzzling, as you say, something else to kind of get you through. Sometimes that's just what we're going to do. like, pull out those sort of tools just to get me through today. Yeah. And then, once you're, you're through that, and then the next day, and you're waking up with the kids, and you're feeling more alert and, and clear and not mm-hmm. shameful that's a great point to then reflect, well, if I had have given in, this is how I would have felt. Yeah. But I didn't give in and this is how
2: I feel. Yeah. And I had a friend say to me the other day, why aren't you drinking? And I said, I'm drinking plenty. I just haven't got any alcohol in my glass. Yes. (laughs) You know, like someone said to me that drinking zero was unhealthy. And I said, oh, I'm not sure if I agree with that." And I've had a few comments like that. It's been yeah, quite tricky and One thing I think I've realized too from stopping alcohol was I don't know if I've lost a lot of friends, but I've realized I'm the instigator. I'm not inviting everybody around. And so all of a sudden it's like, I just don't have the camaraderie or the friendships that I once had. Really
1: the came was the bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, totally. That's always a big eye opener for people. It's just like, oh, didn't quite, those friendships aren't quite as solid as what I thought they were, <laughs> yeah. which means for some people that might feel like, oh God, well, that's really scary, but actually it's, mm, I think it's actually good when we realize that perhaps those relationships weren't what they thought they were. So maybe I could search for some more meaningful relationships and that can take a bit of time mm. in relation to what you just said about, someone saying that none is unhealthy. Well, that's actually been proven to be completely untrue. And there was a podcast episode, just trying to think it was Dr. Peter Attia, I think it was with Huberman. And they were talking about the fact that there is no healthy dose of ethanol. There is no such thing as a healthy dose of ethanol. So basically zero, Is healthy. It's the only way forward. So, people, what they were talking to is in relation to uh, a couple of glasses of red wine being advertised as being good for your health, but they've been able to disprove that now. And so, yeah, there is no healthy dose of ethanol. So, you can always throw that one back at them.
2: Yeah. And I think there's just been so many benefits that I'm just not interested in going back at all. Like, I have so much more energy. My skin is clearer. Like, I lost like five key, like straight away. I had a lot of friends saying to me, what have you done? Like, you're losing all this weight. And I said, I'm not doing anything different except for not quitting alcohol. They're like, oh, I couldn't do that. I'm like, well, you actually could.
1: It's incredible what we're able to do when we put our mind to it. And yeah, we can do. It's interesting too when people say, I can't, do, I couldn't do that. Oh, I, no, will, I, I was that. always
2: like that. I was like, oh no, I, no, I never give up alcohol. That's my one thing. Because I'm celiac too. So I'm like, I already have to give up so much. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to give up that too. But yeah, I feel so much better.
1: Yeah. And we're actually giving ourselves something. We're not giving up anything other than something that gives us four pages of cons. That's right. <laughs> it's right. Like it is. I'm giving yep. up four pages of negatives. Thank you mm. very much. So yes. Yeah. I totally agree. I remember feeling the same. That I'll never be able to, I just felt like I'm never going to be able to nail this thing. All right. And I also thought that life's just going to be pretty shit without it, but life was yeah. not being shit without it at all. It's the opposite. But I guess we don't know that until we know that ourselves. Mm. We can be told that, but we have to know that just from living it and living well. When you first started, what had you set out for? Was it that's it forever or was it just a certain amount of time that you were thinking that you'd do this for?
2: Uh, I thought maybe initially a couple of months, but then when I listened to your podcast, I because I started at episode one, so I'm still not up to the rec- most recent episode. <laughs> it was you and Ash and talking about the twelve you'd given up for twelve months, mm-hmm. and so I thought, oh, I'll aim for that, but I'm not going to tell. I didn't want to tell anybody because then I'll have people say, ah, oh, you can't do that, and don't do that. So I thought, if I can get through Christmas and the New Year, and then we'll see how we go. And I think there was just so many benefits within a couple of months. Like I was just feeling better. I was waking up in the mornings and not spending all my money on Panadol and I saving money on all the alcohol. Mm. Like I was just feeling better. And I was like, there's just so many benefits. Like until you've actually quit for a few months and experienced it, you don't really know. Mm-hmm. How good it can be. That's right. You know, absolutely. Yeah. Also, can I just add that you might
1: have been dodging a bullet from all the Panadol. I've got a family member who ended up with kidney cancer. He was gobbling Panadol. He had a bad neck quite a lot every day, and ended up with a tumor on his kidney, which they could sort of. I don't know if they knew one hundred percent it was from the Panadol, but they thought that was the thinking that a lot of it was to do with the amount of Panadol that he was consuming. So, wow. Yeah, you may have dodged a bullet there. Mm. So. It's great. I, I I do agree. The twelve month is great. Obviously, it's always still day by day, but having that goal, a decent chunky goal that you can go right, definitely needs to do. I think you definitely need to do more than a month. I think six yeah. weeks is good for everything to resettle, or your, uh, I guess your sleep to resettle, your dopamine to resettle, and then perhaps mm. start some deeper work. But I love a good chunk. I love a good twelve months because I think that really gives you that space to then see, okay. And yeah. a year's not that long. A year, gosh, we can do a
2: year, yeah. surely. I really didn't think I could do it though. I was thinking, oh, because mm-hmm. I love it too much. I was like, I love this too much. I can't not, but it's been great. It's actually quite normal to not drink. I didn't realize too how yeah, many people don't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Talk to me a little bit about, you said that the alcohol was numbing for you before you had decided to kind of look into some of the trauma stuff that may have been sitting there in that first 12 months when emotional pain would show up, how were you dealing with that then without the
2: alcohol? I don't know if I was dealing with it. Like I was going to the chocolate and then one thing I've only noticed probably really recently. So I listen to podcasts through the night sometimes and I can't sleep, but I will always have noise on.
0: Mm-hmm. Always the
2: radio. In the mornings, I listen to the news and the TV and I've realized, yeah, only recently how the noise is keeping my brain occupied so I don't have to think. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. just starting to turn the radio off in the car, not have the news going in the mornings and, and learn to sit quietly. I haven't just learned to sit quietly yes. for a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well
1: done for recognizing that.
2: Yeah. And it's been tricky.
1: Yeah. And obviously I talk about this on the podcast a lot, but cutting news out is really important for our mental health because of all the negative imaging. Oh,
2: it's so negative. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And just the, you know, obviously the messaging is so full of negativity and I cannot stand to be around the news. And I used to be the same, get up and turn it on straight away. Oh, actually, even before we quit booze, we'd stopped with the news, but yeah, the news, I'd say for people, that's a good one to cut out and replace it with a gratitude practice in the morning, even if it's only two minutes of gratitude is going to be better than half an hour of listening to negative messaging from the news. And I will argue this to my dying day that I still hear what I need to hear. I knew that there was a pandemic. (laughs) I knew about the floods in our area, even though I don't listen to the news, go figure. So it doesn't make us naive. I know about big world events, but I don't hear it from channel seven. So recognizing, am I just kind of filling my mind with something else or am I finding distraction in something else. Even like you said with the chocolate, yeah, uh that's a surefire sign that there's something going on and that there's something that needs to be probably delved into because that dry drunk thing that we talked about at the start, if we don't get to our deeper stuff, we just replace one addiction with the other. So then it's and it's really fine. what I've been doing. Yeah. And look by all means, I think if you've got to use chocolate to get yourself through the first little while, absolutely even the first year. But at some point it's time to put the chocolate down and then start addressing underlying issues that might be there. And obviously when we're using food, particularly, or even when you mentioned guzzling the hot water, it's really a a suppression. You know, you think about pushing Mm. things down. So.
2: Yeah. um, I remember a few of your podcasts, you've talked about, there was one group you had and there was a lady that had quit sugar at the mm, same time as alcohol. mm, mm -hmm. And your whole group decided to do that too. And I just thought, I remember listening to that thinking, you guys are all absolute champions. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I could have done it. <laughs> yeah. It takes time. And look,
1: obviously it's better than alcohol a hundred percent. Cause it's not going to give you such negative consequences, not have such a negative impact on your life and those around you when you're eating chocolate, but it's definitely yeah. something to, to look into and, and it's just going gently. I think yeah. There's important. a lot of,
2: a lot of trauma and a lot of grief there. My mum passed away when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if I really ever fully grieved mm-hmm. her, like, Being brought up in a Christian home, too, I was so angry at God. And Mm. I don't think I ever really let that go. And just lots of little things that kind of all slowly built up. Like, of what I said, I think before we started, was our second little baby is two years old and she's our IVF miracle. Mm -hmm. So, having five years of disappointment and not understanding why we couldn't get pregnant, and then going through all the drugs and more disappointment of it not working, it was just alcohol just became my best friend because Mm. it made me feel. Better and didn't have to think about all that. And yeah. so, not having that now, I have to start facing that now. So, yeah, I think
1: though that might seem scary for some people, but oftentimes just having that separation from the alcohol kind of prepares us and we become a bit more resilient and able to start facing our stuff and being yeah. able to sit with our stuff and work at it. We just chip away at it slowly, slowly. And as it shows up, and hopefully we have tools to deal with that as it becomes apparent and we need to. St- sort of sift through it. And hopefully working with someone to help you through those times is obviously really helpful as well. I really do recommend for people listening not to do that stuff on your own, that there's people out there that are trained to help with this stuff. I mean, by all means, you can. I think journaling is a wonderful tool. Podcasts are a wonderful tool, but it doesn't quite equate to having that connection Someone and that relational holding when you're working with someone, a therapist that's particularly trauma informed, they can kind of guide you through that stuff as you need to. And it's not like you have to do it forever. Although I see my therapist on an ongoing basis, and it's managed because of the work I do as well. Like I've worked through a lot of my stuff, but it's funny, I'll go into a session with her and think, Oh no, there's nothing, I'm so good. And then I'll end up bawling by the end of the session, and there'll be something that we've worked through. I'm like, Wow, that's incredible. (laughs) And it's just so great. I just Absolutely love it, and it's such a beautiful thing to do. And it's there's no shame in therapy. That's for sure. Nice. A, yep. Yeah really essential for your growth. But definitely a trauma-informed therapist, I feel, is the way to go. But that's just my opinion too. Not everyone will Mm. agree with that. And just because we're speaking about therapy and some people never know what sort of therapist to go and see. But here's what I recommend. Someone who does somatic therapies, that's working with the body to work into the felt experiences. I really like people that are trained in IFS, which is Internal Family Systems, that's working on your parts, particularly if we've had issues with addiction because... Oh, I don't want to get into a whole thing about IFS now, but that's sometimes it's a part that shows up in us that needs work. Family constellations work. Yeah. or just somatic experiencing they They're my top sort of ones that I look for in a therapist. Yeah, for sure. But anyway, I digress, Kate. Sorry. How has your husband felt about your decision to take alcohol out of your life?
2: I think he was pretty surprised that it's lasted this long. Yeah. Because he probably didn't think it. I'd probably go a week or a month or something without it. Because I'm like, no, I need to stop for a bit. So I think he just mm-hmm. assumed that I'd start again, but yeah, he said to me the other night that he's pretty proud of me and, and he doesn't, he hasn't thought anything of it. Cause I've said to him, oh, you know, do you feel a bit like I can't share a wine with you or when we go out for mm-hmm. a nice dinner or something? And he's like, I just don't think anything of it. Oh, that's so that's so been great. kind of good. Cause I thought that might be an issue, but yeah. now it's been fine. I think he kind yeah. of enjoys it. He's got an option of a sober driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And tell me, how have your friends taken it? Yeah, I'm not really sure. Yeah, like what I said before, I haven't just haven't seen my friends as often anymore. And it's when I've questioned them, they said everything's fine. But then I always seem to go back to last Christmas, and it's like it's all been since then. So I'm like, mm. is me not drinking an issue? Do they don't want someone there who wouldn't be drinking, or I don't know? It's been a real tricky one. That one. So if, mm. I think it was a few weeks ago, or must be months ago now, because maybe into last year. The podcast you did with a girl called Nat. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she talked about how she just felt so lonely. And I remember listening to that, like I was listening to it at work actually, and almost started crying because I'm like, that's Mm -hmm. just how I feel. Mm -hmm. Like I actually feel quite lonely now, but I wouldn't change my decision. Like I kind of feel like if you can't take me as who I really am, then that's okay.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And maybe our
2: paths will come back, but at the moment I'm maybe learning to readjust my boundaries of, I don't want to hang out with people that are really, really drunk, or I just don't get invited anywhere anymore, which has been a bit hard, but that's.
1: Hmm. I love that though. And it's about readjusting your boundaries and realizing if it doesn't suit me, if it's not serving me anymore, then it's okay for me to have a boundary around that. I've said this a thousand times in the podcast, but if someone has an issue with you not drinking, that's about them. That's actually got nothing to do with you. That's all on them. And that's something obviously that they need to address their relationship with alcohol, or perhaps that they can't be around people that are sober. And it says magnitudes about them.
2: Yeah. And maybe, yeah, maybe I'm challenging them by not drinking a hundred percent. And look, hopefully
1: you find your people and I'm sure that they will come if you just stick to your guns and even reaching out and doing some things that are probably more leaning towards where people don't drink so much. It could be yoga or meditation groups or something like that is a good way to meet people. Yep. But look, it's definitely a thing. I wouldn't, I'm not going to lie about that. For some people, they do have a time when they feel lonely. But I really do encourage people to kind of work through that and whether it's filling up your time with good books and just keeping yourself company, working on that relationship with yourself.
2: Yeah. And I spent a lot more time with my kids as well. Yeah. So yeah. just focusing on, on my little family and, mm-hmm. and then if I do get to see friends, it's a bonus, but it's yeah. funny. I'm just not the one that says, let's have a wine because usually I was the one. People came around because they knew that we had a fridge full You mm-hmm. um, know now we don't. So yeah, it's interesting though, to see that for what it is and just go, wow. Okay. Yeah. Noted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been a bit tough with that, to be honest.
1: Yeah. It's good to acknowledge that and for people listening. So also like just Nat
2: sharing that as well. Like you said, it touched you and it's like, wow, I can relate to that. And yeah. Yeah. Just feeling that like a bit of rejection, I think has been, and that's been something I've worked through my whole life as well. Like always feeling like my core lie or my core belief of myself was always, I'm not enough Mm. or I'm too much, too loud, Mm. too opinionated or too sensitive and then not cool enough. So it was just, I was always striving to be this person and the alcohol made me feel like I was that accepted. Yeah. So it's learning to be who I am and okay with who I am,
1: Mm. even if I'm
2: on my own for a while. you know, and the right people will come.
1: eventually.
2: So, And the more work you do on yourself, I think the more
1: you attract people like that, or you become more confident in yourself to perhaps reach out to people. I certainly do lots of work and I've had lots of people in my challenges from New Zealand. I know that there's a cool crew out there of people that have done the work on themselves and they're out there. So hopefully that you'll meet them and they'll come into your path. And yeah, I think again, also just doing that work on yourself, We can never be lonely if we like the person that we spend most of our time with, which is ourselves. Mm. So it's just that kind of deeper work really, really helps. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And there's Mm. little things where like if a friend of mine would message me and say they're free for a quick coffee, if I even had plans or had something else on, I would change everything because I so loved the invitation and wanted to be Mm. with someone that I would change my whole day to fit around everybody else. And it's only been probably a month ago, not even that. Maybe it was the first time I feel like I've ever said no to someone. It's like, oh no, sorry. I'm already busy. I've got plans usually I would have bent over backwards because I loved being accepted and having the invitation it's like actually that's not going to work for me
1: which is real empowering so good isn't it just oh, when we yeah. say
2: no especially
1: without having all the explanation behind it
2: yeah that's the other to thing too.
1: No. Yeah. I need to give my life
2: story when I say no
1: <laughs> yes yeah yeah I used to be like that too or always need to be around people but honestly now just oof, after a lot of work and we don't we can't expect to be like that now you know really early on it takes time but now it's I could not think of anyone I'd rather hang out with than me (laughs) isn't that cool like I know yeah and
2: I'm I know I'm not quite there yet but I, I can't wait to get there yeah.
1: And I'm sure you will. Absolutely. I think boundaries is such a great place to start working on those and realizing, yeah, what do I want in my life? What will I or won't I tolerate? And just having that very strong boundary around yourself and your sobriety, because it's so important. Our sobriety is such a precious gift that if we can have a good, strong boundary around it, then they can't be transgressed by anything. And we want to keep it safe and we keep ourselves safe. We learn to trust ourselves more when we can have strong boundaries. We're like, actually I'm the one that's going to protect me. No one else, just me. So I'm just going to start working on boundaries. I've got a meditation up on insight timer about just setting boundaries. It's so important on so many levels. So definitely something to work on and well done for you
2: for just saying, no, I can't do that today. It's a great start. Yeah. I feel like I'm just kind of getting to know the real me, which is ridiculous at 42, right? But
1: Isn't that beautiful though? Just getting to know the real you. Mm. Absolutely gorgeous. Amazing Kate. I'd love to catch up again in another year's time to see where you're at and seeing if you've met your people and and how the inner work is going and and unpacking that because we're all a work in progress and it's great to see the progress of people as they continue the path and continue to grow. So firstly, congratulations
2: on how far you've come from that first message you sent me. It's funny when now that I've been sober for so long, there's things I do or did that I thought I did when I was had a few drinks, like I would message someone famous like you, and then the next day going, "Oh my gosh, how embarrassing. But turns out I do that <laughs> when I'm sober too, because I'm like, I get all but I get all excited and I'm like, I'll just message you and if it's and it's encouraging, like that's cool and that's great. Yeah, just about to read that you
1: messaged me on your one and a half weeks. So obviously, you messaged me that for your first day one, but then you messaged to say you're one and a half weeks in, but you're really, really wanting wine on that day. And so I sort of messaged you back and then you downloaded the ebook that's for free on my website and you worked through that. And you were saying it's just about having strategies. And then you said you've kept on listening to the podcast. And so what I'm sharing for that with people is just to like notice, yep, I'm having a bit of a struggle today. You've reached out to someone, but then also just working through some stuff, not just getting slack with it, but putting the work into practice. So like downloading an ebook, doing a bit of work, doing a bit of journaling, listening to some podcasts. So it's like you've kept growing. You haven't just stopped and been stunted like a deer in the headlights. You've just like, okay, what do I need to do here? And then you're kind of leaning into that stuff.
2: It's so fantastic. I mean, that's great. And I think when I've listened to the podcast a lot, what I've got out of it is that I'm not alone. Yes, there's so many people that have similar journeys, or people are so encouraging. So I feel mm-hmm. like when I listen, I'm listening to a friend.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And we are all friends in this this community because we're all doing it. We're all experiencing the same, or have experienced, or in the middle of experiencing similar things. And so it's just like this big, beautiful community of people that are on the same wavelength and mm-hmm. like-minded. And we're all here to help each other. I don't think anyone's higher up than anyone else. We're all even. We're all equal. And we're all just trying to be well and be happy and live our best lives. So, yeah, I love it. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I love it too. I absolutely love it. Well, Kate, thank you so much for sharing your story and for being brave enough to share. And I know you wanted to postpone today because you're feeling <laughs> nervous. And i was so glad you did it.
2: Thank you for you, having me.
1: You did it. And then also, too, it's all about challenging yourself to yeah. do something outside the box and share. And, and just there's something about sharing and being honest, it just makes us feel good. And I'm, yeah. I've no doubt you will have inspired someone else today as well.
2: Yeah. And I wasn't sure if my story would inspire anyone, but even if there's one person out there and it's exciting now to be a part of the How I Quit Alcohol story as well, which is really cool. Yeah. I love that. I love it. It's just this beautiful tapestry of all these beautiful stories and these beautiful humans Mm -hmm. and everyone
1: is so different yet so the same. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and just congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing. Thank you. See ya.
0: Instant
1: Glam. Visit Impressbeauty.com/slash press on and use code Presson25
0: at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press On Falsies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,